0: Usually I know well in advance what I'm going to preach, and I have a very uh, strict schedule that I, I typically follow, but occasionally the Lord pulls the, the rug out from under me. And Last night I was getting ready to lay down to go to sleep, and I just had a strong, very strong sense that the Lord didn't want me to preach the passage that I had been studying and preparing, but wanted me to, to speak on a different topic from a different passage, and so I thought maybe he didn't realize that I'd been studying all week and had been making preparations. So Jay Lynn's beside me going to sleep, and I'm wrestling around with the Lord beside her. And, and uh, I said, you know, Lord, I've, I've spent a lot of time this week. I've spent a lot of energy this week. I've been reading and studying and praying, and, and I, I think I know what I'm supposed to preach is the next passage in Ephesians. And I just had this strong impression and sense in my soul that uh, that's not what the Lord wanted me to do and so I went to sleep a little bit discombobulated a little bit fitful I woke up in the middle of the night and had a strong sense of a of another passage on my on my mind and and I just thought to myself and uh, was saying to the Lord in my heart I I haven't prepared for that passage so I would rather not do it tomorrow Lord and uh, drifted back off to sleep and as I woke up this morning, I didn't even tell Jay Lynn that, that I really did feel like the Lord was wanting me to, to look and to take us to a different passage of Scripture, that there might be something that would help prepare us for 2018. In 2017, if we were to take a poll in the room, would have been maybe the greatest year some people have ever experienced. Maybe you got a new job with a significant bump in salary and it just fit right into the career path that you wanted to be. Or maybe you fell in love at the beginning of 2017 and by the end of 2017 you were married and you couldn't imagine a better year falling in love and getting married. For others, they would say, you know, we had a child. We had, a, we had multiple children. Uh, we've, got, we've got a house filled with, with babies and children, and it's so wonderful and magnificent. And, and it's like the wind that's just been at your back. In 2017, it's been such a phenomenally good year. And then if we were to go around the, the room this morning, others would say, you know, Pastor, it's been a hard year. There was a relationship I was in, and I thought it was going to take me somewhere. And that relationship ended, and and I was left a little bit broken and empty about it. Someone else would say, you know, I, I had a death of a close a close loved one this year, and you know, I just ever I haven't felt like I've been able to get on track this year. I just have such a deep grief and mourning in my soul. Others thought that. They would be in different places, doing different things, providing better for their family, but, but they're not. And rather than the wind being at their back, it's like there was a hurricane-force wind that just kept them from moving, from moving forward. You know, much of life is not what happens to us, but it's how we respond to what happens to us. It's very easy when the hurricane force winds come against us to get sidetracked and to begin to to languish in the mire of self-pity. But the same is true when the wind is behind us. When the wind is at our face, we can understand getting sidetracked, but when it's behind us, often the blessings of life sidetrack us and and our, our purpose and vision get misplaced. From the giver to the gifts. Well, I want us to look at a passage this morning from the book of James. If you'll turn to James chapter 1. I'd like to read several verses from, from James chapter 1. That I, I think can be a standard bearer for all of us as we enter into 2018. Because as we enter into 2018, we don't have any idea what's before us. We may face many pop quizzes. Pop quizzes. A misplaced wallet, a lost cell phone, or we may face a major monumental final exam like a terrible diagnosis from a doctor, a devastating loss of a family member. Whether it's a pop quiz or a major life exam, James gives us guidance as we enter into 2018 how to navigate those treacherous waters. Because it's in days like that, whether the wind is at our back or in our face, that Satan can often use against us. James chapter 1, I'd like to read verses 2 through 8 and then jump down to verse 12. James chapter 1 verse 2 says, consider it all joy my brethren when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing but if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him but he must ask in faith "...without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." Then verse 12. "...blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised." To those who love him. I want you to go back and look with me in verse 2, and I want you to notice first that James says, When we encounter various trials, not if we will encounter various trials. There's absolutely no doubt that in 2018, we're going to experience trials. For many of us, they may be a pop quiz, for others of us, they may be a monumental major exam. But we shouldn't expect living in a fallen world that we're going to live in a world that is trialless. In a world that lacks heartache and disappointment and discouragement. We live in a fallen world. We live in the evil age, not in the age yet to come. We're not yet into the eternal kingdom. But the good news is God is going to use all of those trials in our lives if we will let him. Let me explain to you what I mean as the passage unfolds. So we notice first that we will experience trials, not if we experience trials. He says, when you encounter various trials, that word encounter is a very interesting word. It's only used in one other place in the entire New Testament. It's used in the parable that Jesus told of the Good Samaritan. And in the parable... Now, the Good Samaritan, Jesus tells about a man who's on a journey from Jerusalem to Jericho or Jericho to Jerusalem, and he falls in among thieves. He fell in among thieves. The picture that Jesus paints is, is like he, he falls into a hole and then he's surrounded by, by thieves. That's the word encounter. Trials come when we least expect them. Trials come when we least need them, at least from our perspective, Life seems to be moving along just quite well. Everything is as it ought to be, and then all of a sudden, from out of nowhere, like a tsunami, the water begins to rise, and then it comes rushing in like a flood. And due to no fault of our own, not because of sinful choices or bad decisions or 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 any such thing, we find ourselves in a hole, surrounded by difficulties, disappointment, heartache, and trials. So he says, when that happens, not if it happens, and when it happens, it comes with our thumbprint. That word various, it's an interesting word. It's used in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament to describe Joseph's multicolored coat. It carries the idea of variegated. When he talks about various trials, he's saying, what's a trial to you may not be a trial to me, and what's a trial to me may not be a trial to you. What may be like a a blow from a heavyweight boxer in my gut that sends me to my knees may just be like a gnat that bothers you. And maybe it's the other way around. That's why it's variegated. That's why it's various. They, they come with our thumbprint. They come with our zip code, with our cell phone number. They come crafted and, and, and situated for who we are in life. Trials are going to come in 2018. Well, what are we to do about it? He says we're to rejoice. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Well, that seems moronic. That seems ridiculous. Well, it is ridiculous if we misunderstand what he's saying. But he's not saying that as we go to the funeral home, we're to be skipping and whistling like we're out for a, uh, for a walk on a, on a beautiful spring day. That would be preposterous, and God doesn't expect that from us. It's not like we're standing in the unemployment line giving high fives to people as we, as we begin to fill out the paperwork to receive a substandard uh, compensation for what our family genuinely, actually needs to survive. See, when he says consider it all joy, he ties it to verse 3 when he says knowing. Knowing. We can consider it all joy when we encounter various trials because of something that we know. But if we don't know this, if we don't know this, we will be entering dangerous terrain. If we don't know it and believe it, we're entering dangerous waters. Because trials, whether they're a number of little pop quizzes or monumental exams can be used by the evil one against us to distract us. To distract us from the reason for living and to draw our attention to us. To take our attention off the Savior and put our attention on us so we begin to waller in the mire of self-pity. We begin to pull the covers up over our heads like nobody's ever lost a loved one. Nobody's ever lost a job. Never. Nobody's ever had a relationship end. There's, there's nobody that knows the troubles that I've seen. And so we begin to think we're, we're all alone in this. We're, we're by ourselves. Nobody goes through what we go through. Nobody's experienced what we've experienced. I, I deserve better. I worked hard in college. I worked hard and got a substantial degree from a reputable institution and And here I am making a a substandard living in comparison to the training that I've gotten. Nobody's ever experienced the troubles that I'm experiencing. But what James wants us to understand is this. Those are difficult days. They're hard days. God doesn't expect us to whistle and pretend like the cult of Christian scientists that evil doesn't exist, that heartache isn't real. He doesn't expect us not to cry. He doesn't expect us not to experience agony. He knows that we are human beings. He created us that way. He created us with emotions. He created us with feelings. What he doesn't want is for our feelings to drive us, for our feelings to determine the choices that we make. So he says, you can consider it all joy because you know God doesn't waste your sorrows. You know God doesn't waste your pain. That you know that the, that the difficult road that you're traveling, God's not going to let it be for naught. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Notice that in verse 3 it's called a test of faith, but in verse 2 it's called a trial. A trial equals a test of faith. Now the test is not so that God can find out where we are. He knows where we are. The test is so that we can discover where we are. God uses trials. He allows trials in our lives so that we can learn we're never as far along as we thought we were. We think things we never thought we would think. We do things we never thought we would do. Trials are tests not so God can discover where we are. He knows exactly where we are, but in part so that we can know where we are. Knowing that the testing of your faith, he's presenting the the picture like faith is a, uh, a piece of metal, maybe gold, being put into a refiner's fire, or maybe it's a piece of steel that that, or iron that, that, that a craftsman is going to, to mold and bend and, and, and hammer into something beautiful and magnificent. Where the dross has to be removed or the, 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 the metal has to be liquefied. And God does that so he can change us. See, he doesn't waste our sorrows. He's using it as a test to refine and to develop us into who he wants us to be so he says knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance this is why we can rejoice God doesn't waste our sorrows he uses it to develop qualities in our lives like endurance we would love or at least I would love to lay down and endurance kind of be like osmosis if I could just buy off of, the, off of TBN or, uh, or some, uh, some Christian broadcast network, if I could just buy an endurance pillow. And you buy the pillow and you sleep on it and the endurance that has been magically and, and uh, miraculously filtered in that pillow just kind of seeps its way into our, into our system. But that's not the way that God does it. God does it the old-fashioned way through trials and tests. Endurance is a disposition of stick-to-itiveness. It's a mindset that says, I won't quit. Won't quit what? Quit following God. Quit loving God. Quit serving God. You now, isn't that what happens to us often when we, when we find that life isn't unfolding exactly like we had thought that it would? The, the things that are happening to us, they seem to be unjust, unfair. When that begins to happen... We often begin to think and act and behave in ways that we never really thought we would act and behave in. We become coarse or hard or harsh or cynical. But God wants to use it to develop endurance. And endurance is a stick-to-itiveness, as I just said, that says, I will not give up. I will not jump ship. I will not cease seeking after God. We want endurance. We want stick-to-itiveness. We we don't want to be quitters. and uh, There aren't many builders anymore, the builder generation, the World War II generation. The generations that followed World War II are quitters, and the further we get away from the World War II generation, the more quitters we have. We basically find ourselves put off with first world problems. And first world problems are minor and insignificant things, but it's enough to throw us completely out of sorts. In our better moments, we want endurance, we just don't want the process that we have to go through to get endurance. We want want a a stick to itiveness, We we want a disposition that doesn't quit, but we don't want the process that gets us there. 2018, God wants to develop greater endurance in all of us. For some of us, it will be pop quizzes. For others of us, it will be major life exams. It will come completely out of the blue. And people will look and wonder, how can they withstand such devastating news? The good news is God will use it. He'll use the little quizzes and the big exams to develop endurance. But how? How will we navigate those treacherous waters that come like a tsunami? Well, one way is through prayer. So he says, well, let me me go back to verse 4 for just a moment because he's going to expand on this idea of endurance. And and then we'll go to verse 5. He says, and let endurance have its perfect result. That is, don't try and get out of of the boat. That is, I'm not saying that if your boss is a jerk, that you don't look for another job. I'm just saying don't jump ship until the Lord allows you to jump ship. Maybe he's placed a jerk, a pharaoh over you because he wants to do something in your character. He wants to do something in my character. He wants to do something in our lives. So he says, let endurance have its perfect result. He's using it like running a race. Run to the finish line. Run run until it's complete. So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What he's talking about is just being mature, being holy, being Christ-like. And so, God will use difficult circumstances and difficult people, arduous days, and tough people to conform us into His image. That's going to happen in 2018. Now, the question is how are we going to handle it? What are we going to do? How are we going to respond to these difficult times? Sometimes we see them coming like a truck down the road, another time, they come from out of the blue. Well, beginning in verse 5, he says prayer. Prayer is absolutely essential. Otherwise, you will quit running the race. Otherwise, you will cut endurance short. Otherwise, you won't continue to rejoice knowing that God will use it in your life for your good, his glory. As painful and, and as disappointing as it may actually be. So he says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, and he states it in a way that just assumes we lack wisdom, we're not nearly as smart as we think we are. He's saying, in difficult days, you need wisdom. Wisdom is more than just being smart. I know a lot of smart people who aren't wise at all. Wisdom is looking at life from God's perspective and able to make the right choices. And it doesn't mean you just got A whole bunch of letters following your name. Or you run a big company. Wisdom is something that comes from God. It's seeing life from God's perspective and then making the decisions accordingly. And he's saying, we don't have wisdom in difficult days. That is, dark, arduous days. It's very difficult to make wise decisions because we lose perspective. And when we lose perspective, that's when we make bad choices. We make make choices too quickly. We make choices unwisely. And so he says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, and you do, let him ask of God. You know, prayer is one of the most difficult things to do in difficult days, isn't it? You would think it would be one of the easiest things to do. But it's one of the most difficult things to do. You can't pray and wallow in the mire of self-pity. You can't pray and have a disposition of animosity toward God. So he says, if you lack wisdom, and we do, particularly in tough times, pray. And so he knows we need encouragement. He knows we need an admonition to to help us in prayer. So he says, let him ask of God who gives to all generously. That is, God isn't stingy in these difficult days. God doesn't want us languishing around uncertain about what decisions to make. He gives generously generously. And he says, without reproach. That is, he doesn't go back and say, you know, the last time you asked me for wisdom, the last time I gave you wisdom, you wasted it. You did the very opposite. You didn't do what I was guiding you and leading you to do at all. He he doesn't do that. He's not like us. You know, our our children may come to us when they're little and say, Daddy, can I have $5? I said, the last time I gave you $5, you spent it all at McDonald's. Uh, You didn't do anything of value with it. Which I kind of like McDonald's, but nevertheless... You you didn't do it. He's not like us. He doesn't go back and point, oh, look at all of the wasted opportunities you had. Look at all of the wasted advice. He does it without reproach. And then he goes on to say, and it will be given to you. He gives us a clear scriptural promise. Ask of God genuinely, and it will be given to you. You need to know how to maneuver. You need to know how to walk. You need to know how to live in dark desperate days. Ask of God. He's going to give it to to you, but there's some that he won't give it to. That is the key issue is faith. So he says in verse 6, but he must ask in faith. What does he mean by that? Do we have to have perfect faith? Well, there's nobody with perfect faith save our Lord Jesus Christ. In this life, our faith is maturing and developing. But he says, let him ask in faith without any doubting. Well, that... That sounds very arduous. It sounds very ominous. Pastor, you just said we don't have to have perfect faith, and he says without any doubting. Well, he describes what he means by doubting when he says, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. They're up and they're down. They're hot and they're cold. They're on and they're off in their spiritual lives. He says in verse 7, For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. The person who's driven and tossed by the wind in their spiritual life, don't even bother to ask until you make some definitive decisions in your life as to who's going to be the Lord of your life. He goes on to say, Being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways, that word double minded, it's only used one other time in the entire New Testament, and it's in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 8. Literally, it means to have two souls. It's to be double minded, two soul. Your affections are going in two different directions. You're setting on the proverbial spiritual fence. And some days you really enjoy the worldliness of this world, and other days you really enjoy the blessings of the kingdom but the worldliness of this world so enticing that and you find yourself back and forth on and off up and down in and out and he says that's the double minded man it's not the person that says lord i believe help my unbelief that's being genuine and honest it's the person that says i love you jesus but in reality i really like the world quite a bit quite a bit too How does God give us this wisdom? First, he gives it from the word. We need to be people of the word. As we go into 2018, find a Bible reading plan. Read through the New Testament this year. A lot of people say, read through the whole Bible every year. That's fantastic. Maybe you've never read through the Bible in a year. Try just reading through the New Testament this year. Or maybe the Old Testament. Maybe you've read through the New Testament many times and you don't know the Old Testament very well. Find a Bible reading plan that will take you just through the Old Old Testament. But whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament or if it's a proverb a day and a passage here and a a passage there, however however you systematically read through the Bible, God is preparing you with wisdom for dark days, for difficult times. Sometimes he does it through godly people. You know, there are people who have walked with the Lord so much longer than we have. They've been faithful. They've, They've lived through experiences like we are going through. And because our perspective is discombobulated, our perspective is foggy and hazy, uh, the tears kind of blind our eyes, we need godly men and women that we can talk to. Maybe their, their circumstances and experiences in the past aren't exactly like ours, but they don't have to be. You can learn from how God navigated them through tough times and then take those same principles and apply them to your tough times. God wants to give us wisdom. Sometimes it's through His Word, and sometimes it's through another brother or sister who who has just walked with the Lord longer than than we have. Tough times, they're going to come. 2018 if you know that God won't waste them you can rejoice in them even when it hurts third God hasn't left you on your own he's there and he hears your prayers and he's given you his word and he's given you godly people that can help you navigate through those times. Uh, turn with me over to verse 12. Uh, when, when we've let endurance run its, run its course, when we've, when we've worked our way through those dark days, and sometimes they last a week, a month, sometimes they last for, for many, many years. He says in verse 12 Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. Notice at the end of the verse, he says, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Those who love him are those who persevere under trial. What will keep us seeking to live a godly life in the midst of broken relationships and broken promises and and, uh, difficulties in life? Loving Jesus. Loving Jesus will help us persevere. And as we persevere because we love Jesus, he's developing endurance in us. And endurance enables us to withstand and to weather the storms of life. in, In one sense, it's love for Jesus that matters most. If God wasted our sorrows, if we love Jesus, that would trump God wasting our sorrows. But God doesn't waste our sorrows and we get to love Jesus. And so he's not wasting what we're going through. He's using it. He's forging our character. He's, he's rubbing off the rough edges so that we can be kinder husbands. More honoring wives. Better church members. He's forming us and he's making us in that fire. And because we love him, we're not going to jump out of the fire until he lets us out of the fire. Because we love him. But blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. He's not talking about something in the future. He's not talking about heaven. He's talking about now. He's not talking about eternity. He's talking about Now. Notice the way he puts it, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. Once he's been tested and proven and refined, and endurance begins to to find a more a more prominent place in his or her soul, uh, they receive the crown which is life itself. It's not the removal of the trial, it's the experience of the Savior. One trial is, as you know, that I, I constantly uh, have vexing me as my eyesight. Uh, in the, before the first service, I was in the other lobby, and I thought I saw Jay talking to some people. I, I wouldn't recognize them from the man in the moon. And uh, Jay Lynn could see that I was looking from about 8 to 10 feet away, and that she knew I didn't recognize the, recognize them, not because I didn't know them, but because I couldn't actually see their face. And she said, Honey, come over and and say hi to the hunters. They're in town. Well, the hunters, former members, fantastic members, been in Albuquerque serving on church, now in Carolina serving on church, fantastic people. Well, once I got to about three feet of them, I I recognized Trent immediately. And so when he says that we're going to receive the crown of life, he doesn't mean he takes the trial away necessarily. Well, maybe there'll be some kind of miraculous uh, uh, miracle that will, that will restore my sight. Otherwise, every day when I sit down at my desk to read, I'll have a magnifying glass that's about this size, and I'll put it over the book with a heavy light on it, and I'll read through, through a rather large magnifying glass. And I'll come upon people in the hallway, and I've done it to, to my son Paul before, and before I know it, Paul's uh, saying, hi, Daddy, and walking by me, and I'm walking the other direction, and I... Uh, I I have no idea who it was until he says, Hi, Dad. You see, God doesn't remove the trial. God gives endurance, perseverance, and himself in the midst of the trial. It's a beautiful thing. And when he says the crown of life, he's not talking about the life to come. He's talking about life right here and now. Life that's full and rich and meaningful. Not the American culture kind of life, the big home and the nice car and the well-appointed children and the beautiful or handsome spouse. That's not the kind of of life he's talking about. He's talking, talking about real life, that which is life indeed. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says, I am the life. That's the kind of life he's talking about here. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial for once he has been approved, tested, and conformed. He will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. What a beautiful promise. It's a promise that far surpasses an easy life. The kind of heretical life that you hear on a lot of, of television preachers. The kind of Joel Osteen or Benny Hinn kind of obnoxious Uh, uh, teaching that, that says, you know, God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Somebody should have told the Apostle Paul that. Somebody should have told Paul that he was living outside of God's blessings. You read 2 Corinthians, and he had an arduous, difficult life. The greatest man to live on this side of the cross, save our Lord Jesus Christ, did not live in a big house with a beautiful wife, with a fancy salary, no, he lived like a pauper, hand to mouth. Lived with a lot of enemies and a lot of disappointment. He was betrayed by some of his friends. You say to Paul, "Paul, would you turn? Would you would you give it all back? Would you would you would you give it back to have had an easier life, to have been a famous rabbi, to have been a a person that was really recognized for for your accomplishments?" Not in a second would he have done that, and neither would you, and neither would I, in our right moments. And we're in our right mind. So, what's all this have to say? Well, it says in 2018, you're going to face some pop quizzes. Someone's going to hack into your credit card, somebody's going to lose a wallet, somebody's going to have a spouse die. And it's going to be like a, a blow from a heavyweight boxer. That takes you to your knees. And you're gonna wonder is it all right to cry? It would be odd and wrong not to cry. It'd be something wrong with us. If there's a relationship that we're in and we think that it's on the trajectory of marriage and then all of a sudden from out of the blue it ends and not only is there no marriage, there's no engagement, the relationship, ends and, and now it's just kind of an awkward friendship. Well, there's something wrong if there's no, if there's no feelings with that. But, but what it does is it drives us to our knees because we know that God wants to use it in our lives for our good and His glory. We know that He's promised that He will use it to develop endurance in us. We know that He'll, he'll take our character and He'll put it into that fiery furnace and He will take uh, uh, an anvil and a hammer and he'll begin, to, he'll begin to reconfigure our soul. And then through it all, at some point maybe in this life or the life to come, we'll find out, you know what, that really was life. I mean it was life indeed. It's the crown of life. And so as we As we conclude this year, you may have had a, I mean, just a stellar year. Oh, you lost your wallet or your car keys. But overall, it's just been phenomenally wonderful. And what do you say? You say, praise God. Praise God for such a good year. I got married. We had a child. I got a new job. I got out of college. I paid off my college loan. I paid off my kid's college loan. You know, whatever it may be. And You say, praise God. You're coming out of a year where it's just been very difficult, and you say praise God not for the same reason. You can praise God because God hasn't allowed you to go through it without a purpose, without doing something in in you. You have no idea what's going to happen in 2018. Could be the best year of your life, professionally, relationally, financially. It could uh, it could bring out some. Some difficulties that you could have never imagined and it unfolds seemingly like a nightmare. But God is with you. Your commitment is decided. You've driven down the stake. I will love him, follow him, serve him, worship him, regardless of what 2018 brings. You know, it may be that you are here today and we come to this time and you'd just like one of our staff members to pray for you. If you'll come down in just a moment while Aaron's leading us in song, uh, we won't pray with you standing here and everybody wondering, "Well, I wonder what's wrong with Bill down there. He, he must be going through a tough... We'll sit down on the front row with you and we wouldn't, uh, wouldn't expose you to any kind of embarrass, embarrassing situation. Or, or maybe you'd just like to talk to someone about your spiritual life. Maybe you would come down and say to one of our staff members, I've never heard anybody talk about life the way Pastor Cook did this morning. I'd like to learn a little bit more about what he he was talking about. And we'll be glad to take you out and talk with you privately and and confidentially about about that. Maybe you come down and you say to one of our staff members, I really need to talk to somebody. My my wife and I here, we're going through a very difficult time and we really need to get our marriage reoriented and We'll pray for you and then we'll, we'll, we will have somebody call you. We've got some stellar marriages in this church. And we'll have, we'll have a couple call you and sit down with you and help you get that train back on the right track again. Maybe as we, we finish out uh, the year, this is the last Sunday, you'd say, hey, I, I think I'd like to join, Pastor. I know you can't see me, but I, I think I'd like to join. And so... Yeah, you come forward, we had 125 joined so far, uh, so far this year, we've had 60 uh, that joined in the, in the fall, as I told you I was praying for, uh, praying for 60 in the, just in the fall. Maybe you come down and say, listen, I, I we want to throw our lot in, and we'll introduce you to someone that can walk you through the membership process. So I'm going to ask you if you'll stand, and Aaron, if you'll come on up, I'm going to lead us in prayer, we're all going to join together and, uh, and sing in just a moment. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you this morning that uh, you often do things in surprising ways. Our thoughts aren't your thoughts, our plans aren't your plans, your plans are better than our plans, your thoughts are better than our thoughts. And so, take the message, Father, that you planned, not that I planned, and use it in our lives as we finish out 2017 And prepare us for whatever lies ahead in 2018. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.